Hey, travelers. Just stopping by to let you know that this episode that you are about to listen to is one of our older ones, and we were going through some growing pains at this time. But if you would like to start from where we consider our newest era of quality, I would go ahead and jump to episode 54, The American Bigfoot. Either way, enjoy, travelers. An area in the far northwest portion of Wyoming, encompassing 3,742 square miles, is home of the world's first national forest, Yellowstone. Yellowstone is full of natural beauty and is the home to the largest concentration of mammals in the lower 48 states. You can also find 285 different species of birds, 290 eye-opening waterfalls, 141 miles of shoreline on the pristine Yellowstone Lake. But something else more brutal and clearly visible on the surface of the park stands in the way of this majestic land and forever being a haven for animals of all shapes and sizes. Over 10,000 hydrothermal features and 500 active geysers lend clues to the true nature that is the beast known as Yellowstone National Forest. The dark and repetitive history of the park's creation lends hints to the future for all of North America and even the rest of the world. A future full of death, never-ending darkness, polluted and unbreathable air, undrinkable water, lands impossible to grow crops on or feed livestock, and death to hundreds of thousands of people around the globe. Today, we discuss the imminent eruption of the Yellowstone Supervolcano. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. I'm Jeremy. I'm your host of the show. And today I am with my co-hosts, Jake and Andrew. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Excited to get into this. You know, one one talk over top of you guys. Yeah, talking over the top. One day you'll get used to just talking over each other. You know, I'm I'm never going to be like, hey, Jake, how are you doing? And then Andrew, how are you doing? So you should just say it all together all the time. Why don't we just go by alphabetical order? That way, Andrew's first every time? Yep. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I, I like how awkward the intros are. It's it's us. It's who we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today, uh, we're discussing, man, a pretty brutal topic. Yellowstone National Forest. But before we get into that, we're going to go ahead and introduce our guest for the day. When, Rounding out the, can I say threesome? Threesome? Yeah. Do we say threesome? Threesome? All right. Rounding out the threesome of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour podcast, we have our last guest at the show, Slick Frock Sanders. What's up, dude? What is up? <laughs> I am Slick Frock Sanders of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Uh, I'm pretty blessed to be here today. I- I've been excited to uh, make a guest appearance on the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I've been looking forward to it. Lo- for a pretty long time Uh, i've been listening to your guys's show you know ever since we first linked up way back and i've been looking forward to it ever since so thanks for having me on guys absolutely man i knew we'd get to it eventually thanks for being here i figured one one guest from the hush hush society every season and uh you know it would force us to get the three seasons before we eventually said okay we're done with this um, <laughs> so, so, 
so now that it's all come to fruition, uh, th- that's it. All right, guys. Infinite Rabbit Hole is oh, done. No. <laughs> it's dead. <laughs> yep. Uh, it has uh, completed. We're full circle. And uh, thanks, Hush Hush. <laughs> I always thought that it would at least be until we got the intro down. But, you know, that works too. Can we, can no. we do the episode before we're saying we're done? <laughs> that might that- be a good idea. <laughs> That's fine, because according to the info that we're going to put out in this episode, the world will end in a fiery death. Yes. Followed quickly up by a frozen death. All right. Yellowstone National Park sits on top of a gigantic cauldron, which used to be the epicenter of the last supervolcano eruption. What are your guys' initial thoughts about this? And what did you go through when you were doing the research for this? Is this what you thought it was, or is this more or less? Let's start with Frog. Uh, Well, it's definitely more so severe than I had initially thought before my research, but at the same time less, if that makes any sense. I thought there was actually this massive volcano at uh, Yellowstone, which that's not at all what it what it seemed to be. Uh, it's actually that Yellowstone is sitting on top of this massive volcano, correct? Yeah. 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 So that, that kind of caught me off guard. To me, it's kind of terrifying to think that here in our own country, we have this absolutely deadly, super massive volcano just kind of sitting in the center of it. That could be pretty catastrophic to not only the U.S., but the entire world if something were to happen. Yeah, just a pretty fascinating to to read up on i mean i'm kind of upset that if this thing goes off that yogi the bear is not going to be uh relevant anymore (laughs) (laughs) those jellystone yeah well wasn't it based off of yellowstone i think so so, man i don't know because i don't think there i don't think there is such a park as jellystone yeah I mean, we all did research on Yellowstone, and Andrew's over here doing research on Jellystone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. You could be right. I'll, I'll double check and make sure that there's no such thing as Jellystone. But I really thought it was the equivalent to that. I'm sure you're right. You uh, absolutely, man. I've I've not watched or done any uh, deep dives into Yogi Bear in a very long time. Okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna say there's one in Pennsylvania, apparently. I, I, for the life of me, really thought that it was based off of uh, this thing. But apparently there's like a whole... Oh, it might be a resort. They might have just stole it. They do have like a chain campground. Yeah, they probably... That's called Jellystone. We actually stayed at one in Cherokee, North Carolina a couple years ago. Probably about 10 years ago now, to be honest with you. I feel like that wasn't around prior to him so i I, when the directors were or cartoonists were making their thing they were thinking yellowstone probably most likely but okay so you're gonna be sad that yogi bear is no longer around yeah and uh probably me too unfortunately (laughs) because i I don't think i'll survive it but like more more the bear yeah the the cartoon bear yeah (laughs) poor thing yep (laughs) jake how about you man yeah, I didn't realize how dang big it is. Huge. And I agree with Frank. I also thought that there was some kind of a volcano. I never really looked into it. I knew it was like, okay, it's big. It's going you know, to explode at some point. And 
kill all of us, but I didn't realize how dang big it is. And not only is it not a volcano like you think about when you think about like Hawaii and stuff, but the cone, I, I did a little bit of scientific research into it. I didn't go there, but um, the cone is called a caldera. And Yellowstone National Park sits inside of three of them from the last eruptions. <laughs> the entirety of the park is inside of the crater from the last three eruptions. Like, that's how dang big this thing is. And also looking into the explosive force of that, and we'll get into that a little bit into the episode. But, you know, I, I thought that Mount St. Helens was a big eruption when it went off, and it certainly was. But in comparison to Yellowstone, I mean, it's like you threw a pebble into a uh, small pond and it made a splash. Like, it's just <laughs> not even on the same scale. It's absolutely incredible how destructive it could possibly be. Absolutely. And then this Yellowstone's going to be like you threw a, a volcano into a puddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um. All right, cool. So let's get let's talk a little bit about old faithful basically i had this long drawn out story of yellowstone and it starts with old faithful so that's where we're going to start so old faithful every 90 minutes or so old faithful puts on a show consisting of shooting thousands of gallons of scalding hot water into the air if nobody knows what old faithful is basically this is a geyser okay and this pocket of boiling water underneath the surface of the land in yellowstone eventually fills up and boils up hot enough to cause Old Faithful to spew out thousands of gallons of scalding hot water. Uh, they, they, they have a clear place where you can stand so that nobody gets hurt. Uh, and this is something that's been going off every 90 minutes since the beginning of written history, or as far as we know. So this is something that's always been there. But why is that important to the idea of Yellowstone supervolcano erupting? The fact that Old Faithful is so faithful means that the rocks that form the cavity under the geyser are extremely hot. How do rocks under the ground get so hot? Due to the close proximity to active lava flows under the rocks, the rocks that form the cavern of regularly filling and spewing water are superheated to insane temperatures, causing pressure to build and boiling hot water to be spewed out every 90 minutes. So that's just one piece of evidence to, uh, of a lot that we're going to get into today that points in the direction that this national park is going to go. It's going to blow again. Uh, and that w it sits on top of an active volcano or active lava. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is Indian ponds. Now Indian ponds is a little, I'd say a little section that comes off of Yellowstone Lake. Now, if you look at a map of Yellowstone, you'll see that, there's this massive lake in roughly the center, you know, a little bit to the uh, to the east and south. Uh, but there is this massive lake, and one of these little fingers that come off of it create these Indian ponds. Uh, three thousand years ago, a massive geyser erupted, sending rocks, debris, and water three to five thousand feet into the air, creating a rain of massive pressurized sand rocks and cause them to fall to the earth. Today, the area around Indian ponds is littered with these pressurized sand and gravel rocks, with some up to a mile away, creating an obvious oblong circle around the crater, which is now known as Indian ponds. By chemical dating the rocks and measuring the average and max distances these rocks lay away from the ponds, 
Scientists have been able to determine approximately how long this massive geyser erupted and how far into the air it sent materials. This is something that's that's seen uh, regularly all throughout the park. Geysers go off, some of them gigantic, some of them that create huge bodies of water, such as Yellowstone Lake, which we'll get into here in a second. But how this really helps us complete the story is by what materials that we can see in these oblong circles around these geysers or, you know, what are now ponds and lakes inside of Yellowstone and how violent they were, how long ago they were that violent and how they're reacting now. So Yellowstone Lake, another crater that was, that has over time become a large body of water within the borders of Yellowstone National Park. The geyser erupted between 3,000 and 13,000 years ago. The sheer size of the crater suggests that the eruption of this geyser was so massive and its reservoir was equally as massive or larger. Boiling water at the bottom of the lake and chemical composition of the lake proves that the area under Yellowstone Lake is still very active today and could easily eventually lead to another eruption. Chemical gas being leaked out of these vents consists of carbon dioxide, sulfur, sulfur dioxide, and hydrogen sulfide which is the exact same mix of chemicals found to be coming out of active volcanoes. Another sign of imminent eruption is the presence of quartz crystals, which are formed by active lava flowing onto the surface of the earth and cooling, and the lava is no longer subject to high pressure and temperatures. All of this evidence leads scientists to believe that under the surface of Yellowstone Lake and the area that is now known as Yellowstone National Park lies a volcano that is powering all of this heat and inducing activity that takes place consistently throughout the park. I heard a little bit. I was watching a documentary on this. Um, yeah, so there's there's a geyser in particular at Yellowstone called um, Steamboat. And the, the Steamboat geyser had been uh, pretty inactive for quite some time. And I, I don't have the exact you know amount of years as to how long it was inactive. But as of the past few years, it's been, you know, spouting off more and more frequently. And people are suggesting that that might be because of a um, new or resurged amount of magma flow underneath the surface, which could suggest, you know, higher magma activity, which then suggests, you know, just a higher increased chance of impending doom from the from the Yellowstone supervolcano. Yeah, so there's a lot of evidence that this thing is is going to go again. And we'll get into that a little, little bit later as we get into the the episode, but I wish I wish this was more mainstream because after I did my own research into this, I became more worried. And and I was I was already kind of a little uh nutty about this topic already because i will literally not move west of the mississippi river because of this which we'll talk about a little bit more at the bottom of the hole on this episode but yeah so uh basically frank what you were saying is that this area is becoming more and more active correct yeah i fully agree and that's what i've found too i didn't hear about steamboat though that's pretty neat yeah i forget what documentary in particular i wish i could you know cite it really fast but i was watching it like as i was falling asleep a couple days ago it's on (laughs) discovery plus that's all i can tell you (laughs) right on there's there's no lack of content when it comes to 
the Yellowstone Super Volcano. So if anybody wants to do further research into this, easily found on YouTube, as Frank was saying, you can go to Discovery. Plus, there's tons and tons of websites on this. And this is one of the most actively researched areas of the world when it comes to seismology and geology because of the threat of this super volcano. So there was a Dr. Poland, I don't know what his first name was, but he spoke on uh, CBN News where he said the worst case scenario is like the explosion, which hasn't happened for about 631 years, where it would last on average of 50 to 100 years, affecting like super eruptions. So even if the eruptions would continue going off for like that time period. Um, now that's not just the eruptions, then you're going to have other things like uh, the ash up in the air, the uh, lava, and um, it's pretty much going to kill majority of the crops. And that's like United States, that's like our farm belt area, like majority of the grains and corn and other things that we we use or get. So I, I think we're pretty much done for as like a society. Um, I don't know. Would it go out to like Europe or would it get it? Because I know it's definitely going to hit uh, Canada and Mexico. We'll get into more of that later on. Trust me. Uh, I'm getting all the boring shit out of the way now. But no worries, man. We will get into the destructive force of this thing. Jake, what do you got? Um, I, I kind of wanted to talk about what is a super volcano. Yeah. Because I think that's important because we keep saying it, super volcano, super volcano. But I know this, there's someone listening right now, just as I was when I was first researching this topic, what is a super volcano? And basically what I, what I got from it is it's classified by the power of the eruptions in the past. So we can see by the, the size of the crater and where ash was found in different regions to say that the eruptions in the past, however long ago they were, you know, you guys might say millions of years, I might not, but regardless, we can see that and say that this was a super eruption event. And basically that means it was a eight or higher on the volcanic explosivity index. And it has to, for it to be in that super category, it has to deposit ash-wise about 240 cubic miles of ash from the location of the eruption but since there is no cap on the size or there's no like next level there's not super duper volcano or whatever it's just volcanoes and the top is super volcano that amount of ash expansion from that eruption could go indefinitely in size so it could go up to a thousand cubic miles it could go up to three thousand cubic miles it really has no cap above that so uh, in reality, a supervolcano event is big, but when we're talking about Yellowstone erupting um, and the destruction and, and everything that could come from that, we're talking about like an extinction level event. And in that case, the uh, the outpouring of ash from that volcano, though it may be an eight or a nine or a ten, uh, whatever number it's given, the size of the cloud could go out. And cover the entire earth like depends on you know just how big it is when it actually happens but that's what the classification is for a super volcano it's literally this is 
how much it deposited and and how far away and we can tell by uh what i had mentioned earlier the uh the caldera uh the the cone that was left over once it imploded on itself how big that was so that's what we're talking about a lot of really good information there uh they do predict that when this thing does go off that the cloud cover or the the ash cover which will be a sulfuric cloud cover will actually cover the entire planet and we'll we will see ash definitely throughout the entire united states and most of canada and mexico but to answer andrew's question from earlier yes it does uh there are a lot of people that are predicting that ashfall will happen in europe and as far away as some portions of africa mm-hmm. but the effects will be seen throughout the world. Next section I have uh, basically is on the, uh, the natural materials found in Yellowstone and throughout the United States in some specific places. So one of the biggest problems in the history of Yellowstone uh, was finding the actual volcano, which is what a lot of people think, right? They, they hear the word volcano and they say, where's the mountain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no mountain in the middle of Yellowstone. So it's all underground. It's all underground. All right. So Yellowstone is one of the most active volcanoes in the world, but nobody could find it on land. Throughout Yellowstone, there is no visible mountain with smoke and steam escaping out of the top as pictured in many other active volcanoes throughout the world. So where is it? The answer came with the existence of a particular type of tree throughout Yellowstone, the lodgepole pine. These plants are the only trees that can thrive in the poor soil created by a type of lava known as rhyolite. Rhyolite is a very solid rock or lava that does not allow other materials such as water to flow through or be absorbed, meaning non-permeable. This causes many ponds throughout the park to never go away, giving a great breeding ground to a lot of mosquitoes. The massive population of mosquitoes throughout the park is also a solid piece of evidence for the existence of rhyolite in Yellowstone. Why is rhyolite bad? Rhyolite, due to its density, weight, and non-permeability, creates massive and very violent volcanic eruptions in comparison to other volcanic materials. And due to rhyolite being literally everywhere in the park, it was determined that most of the 3,471 square mile park is the cauldron of a massive supervolcano. The rim of the once-standing volcano is now a structure of stone mounds, creating a perfect oblong circle rim 45 miles across Yellowstone. A thick layer of solidified ash found in California determined that the ash fall fell far beyond that distance, and after chemical dating, it was determined that the ash not only matched the chemical composition of Yellowstone's, but it also matched the time frame, 640,000 years ago. Now... We're going to move on over to Meadow Creek, Wyoming. Over 60 miles away in Meadow Creek, Wyoming, a cliff face has deteriorated and shows a great example of layers of rock that tell the story of the history of the area. One of those layers is a thick layer of obsidian that can only be created by a volcanic eruption. The problem is that the closest volcano to this location is Yellowstone, and on a scale that we have never witnessed in modern times large enough to send enough lava over 60 miles away and cover the area enough to solidify into a six-foot layer of obsidian below 12 feet of solidified ash and another 18 feet of new gravel and dirt that came since the eruption. That's awesome. Large enough for 240,000 cubic miles of material, enough to cover the entire state of New York under tens of feet of ash. 
solidified ash dating back to the same time frame of the old Yellowstone eruption to be found all over the United States from an eruption that was 2,500 times larger than the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980. That's a lot. That's a tremendous amount of debris from that, more so than I had researched and looked into. Like, even the the minimal amount that I had seen was still catastrophic. Like, that's nuts. It's it's wild. So, you said six, it's big enough to deposit six feet of ash uh, amongst all the other stuff into New York, right? Well, it said tens of feet of ash in New York. Sorry. Yeah, it had six feet of obsidian. Uh, yeah, 60, 60 miles away from the the last eruption location. Um, so 60 miles away. I mean, I don't know if lava cools and then expands mm-hmm. and then creates six feet of obsidian, but even six feet of obsidian, that's a lot of lava to be landing 60 miles away. I would imagine that it, it actually compresses because obsidian is like glass right it's not porous like other volcanic rock is so it doesn't show expansion it shows contraction and pressure and and heat to kind of do that so uh, i would say that there was more (laughs) than that and then uh it just layering on top of itself created that layer of obsidian but yeah like like the research i was doing the the plausibility and like the after effect of of an eruption and stuff uh, they said that since volcanic ash, it's not, when we think of ash, we think of like, you know, trees and wood and charcoal and things like that. Uh, volcanic ash is is made up of rock, right? Because that's what comes out of the earth when it blows up. Of course, there's there's burning that happens with that along with trees and other things. But the ash cloud that's formed from a volcano is all of what was the magma once it's in the earth, it's it's liquid, it's magma. When it comes out, it's lava. But with really catastrophic explosions, most of that magma doesn't get a chance to become lava because it just gets pretty much vaporized into this ash cloud and flung into the air. And it's so heavy because it is that that those tiny particles of rock that only... 30 centimeters or literally just under a foot like 11.8 inches is enough to layer on top of most buildings and houses and collapse them to their foundations because it's so heavy yeah not to mention that these ash clouds cause a lot of acidic rain right so you get this soup of ash and acid rain that just sits there stagnant forever and then it hardens to harder than cement like these Mm -hmm. these ash rocks that i talk about are extremely dense extremely hard because yeah that's exactly what it is is that you know just like when you're you're at a campfire right and you light it on fire and you see like the ash things coming off of the wood now imagine that's so hot that you're getting the same ash coming off of rocks Right. And that's what's in the the atmosphere. And that's what's falling down to the land. And then you have this acidic rain that's built up in there because you have all the sulfur and carbon dioxide and all this other crap that's up in up in the sky. And now that's raining down on top of these these. Man, inches, feet of. It's exactly uh, like what we saw with Pompeii, where they're starting to or they recovered all of these 
people that were frozen in their in their spots because this uh ash and rain mixture encased them in some sort of like concrete and it completely preserves the, preserves them and then it would be like that except everything cars buildings you know cities just completely encased in this uh super toxic acidic uh concrete you know i mean um, tens of millions of people dying <laughs> easily yeah. because of this thing not to mention uh breathing that in which as that ash mixes with the fluid that's inside of your lungs it creates that same exact concrete thing but encases the inside of your lungs causing pretty uh pretty you know savage uh suffocation and death not just that but you're instead of drowning from water you're drowning from concrete yeah drowning from just a lack of oxygen in general but it just you can't get any oxygen through there and it's hot it's really hot right because it was a couple minutes ago molten boiling rock and now it's a superheated vapor uh or superheated particles that people are breathing in that are just just destroying everything not to mention setting plants on fire and grass and you know i know this is kind of like lighthearted to the whole like death parade thing uh, <laughs> for it but uh uh if you knew that you were gonna turn into a statue would you guys like form a pose so if, <laughs> if anybody actually found you you would be like no i'm gonna find someone's gonna find me like twerking as a statue or something like that i don't know i don't know if i would strike a pose but i know for a fact i would be wearing my uh my mothman hush hush society t-shirt hey. and make sure that people finding me tens and hundreds of years ago could still see the drippage i was wearing i feel I, I, it would just be like so full of like panic and angst i don't know if i could like stomach trying to pull a pose in my in my last moments <laughs> Would you have time to pull a pose too? Uh, Probably. How how fast would it happen? You know. Well, like you, if you're struggling to breathe, (laughs) right? A person has at least uh, an average person can do like twenty, thirty seconds. Uh, Now, if you're like a person that dives for pearls, right? They can hold their breath for like two minutes, three minutes, (laughs) Uh, but they're like built up for that, and so they they expand their lungs and other stuff. So. I don't know, like, if, if you really want to, like, get a stopwatch and time yourself, how quickly you would be able to... I know you'd be in pain. I know you'd be burning. Uh, Jeremy would have his awesome drip, uh, which I guess... Uh, make sure you guys get it, because it's uh, flame retardant uh, t-shirts, I guess. No, 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 no. No, no don't put that on there. People are going to start setting themselves on fire and suing us. No, don't. don't. I, I didn't say that at all. Yeah. But uh yeah, the I don't know, it just it seems very like Bible-esque, if anything. This whole if this is like the oh guys, hey Ragnarok, there you go, button. Boop. <laughs> yeah, so uh I definitely can't say that that shirt is uh is fire retarded. That's I wouldn't not, try. I wouldn't try. True. But it is fresh. And anybody finding me hundreds of years from now would be like, damn, people back then dressed really fucking awesome. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, that is 
Andrew, I was not expecting to like laugh during this uh, episode. So thank you. That was awesome. The only thing I can think of is like, I'm, I'm dying. I gotta make it look good. Yeah, my, my luck, I'd probably like trip and fall and my butt would be up in the air. And it be like, I was like running to the bathroom. So like, they'll have a picture of me uh, with just my pants around my ankles. And just as statue form, be like here, you could clearly see 20th century man trying to run to the bathroom, <laughs> and, and then they like somehow get you out of the, the cement, and then your shit, and then your shit comes out, and it's like that's century old shit. <laughs> Not even, you know, you know, it's gonna be like we are. It's, someone's gonna see a, a picture in a magazine and be like, "Freaks." <laughs> yeah, <What> weirdos. <laughs> All right, let's move on to earthquakes. Um, Yellow Yellowstone National Forest has over five thousand earthquakes every year. By measuring the earthquakes with seismology tools and technology, scientists were able to determine precise locations of the quakes and plotted them on a 3D digital mapping program. The mapping and a combination of measuring seismic waves, they were able to determine where hot rocks were forming under the surface, outlining the underground structures, revealing a gigantic reservoir of molten rock under Yellowstone. The reservoir chamber is over 30 miles long, 25 miles wide and 10 miles in depth and full of molten lava. As more technology became available, scientists were able to look even further below the Earth's surface, below Yellowstone, and find an even more gigantic volcanic pipe, which in the simplest terms is a chimney that brings lava from the center of the Earth to the large reservoir under Yellowstone. This is what geologists call a hotspot. Determining exactly how big it is is currently impossible due to technology restrictions, but the current technology we can uh, we have can determine that the volcanic pipe goes as deep as 400 miles below the surface of Yellowstone. Whoa. Yeah. Was Mel's Hole a volcanic pipe? Dude, I don't even want to talk about Mel's Hole. I'm kind of curious. Like, I know this is like a different subject altogether, but like... At what point would this fall into like hollow or hollow earth? Would like this ever run across or is that like another subject that we can touch later? Well, we actually have a person on the show right now who is very well versed in hollow earth. Uh, that would be slick. What's up, dude? Uh, so Yellowstone and hollow earth. Um, <laughs> I just put him on the spot. Yeah. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I can't exactly remember exactly how far from the surface of the planet uh, it is in between the surface and hollow earth, but I would say if they're, they're suggesting that there is a 400 mile, is that what you said? At least. At least a 400 mile uh, chimney of a pipe full of magma coming from the core, that would kind of cancel out hollow earth theory intertwining with this. Unless I don't know, I, you'd you'd really have to had to stretch your imagination and kind of do some mental gymnastics to kind of work Yellowstone volcano in with uh with Hollow Earth. Oh, gotcha. I, I I think the two would kind of cancel each other out because the the whole entire Yellowstone uh super volcano it's it's definitely a thing and it 
it requires magma from the core of of the planet which i i think just just cancels out hollow earth well i'm just curious um because they did have not to use uh, a movie as an example but like the the current godzilla movie that's out uh as of 2020 um they did have volcanoes that were in there kind of like reverse but it also had like a top layer and bomb layer of uh things in there so like yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah so like if it would go down do you think it's just um equivalent of having a volcano on both ends i guess that's a pretty good point and i i see what you mean i now that you put it like that i i wouldn't completely cancel out the idea i hadn't thought of that um I I would see that being the only possibility with with the two kind of being intertwined with the uh, Yellowstone super volcano being active on a hollow earth planet. I think that's the only way it could work. If yeah. like if there was two volcanoes on either end of the spectrum kind of sharing one central pool of magma. So, now that we're on the topic of hollow earth, one thing I want to say is that if anybody wants a really good breakdown of Hollow Earth before we end up doing our own, uh, which is not currently scheduled, uh, Hush Hush actually does a really good job at that. I just want to put that out. So definitely go ahead and check out their their episode on Hollow Earth. But Frank, yes, uh, I've been dying to ask you guys, and I was gonna send Dave this question during your last live episode, but I was at work, so you know it wasn't really working for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I kind of focused on trying to get you guys more more uh, viewers, but um, Admiral Byrd, when yes. he when he flew into Antarctica and he went down into the hole, was he an admiral at that time? I believe so. Yes, yeah, he he was a, an admiral, and uh, his higher ups promptly told him to shut the fuck up about what he was talking about after he flew out of the Simsole. I see. Uh, I see. Jake just came off of Mike, so I think he knows where I'm going with this. And just from you know being in the Navy, this is this is the only part that I have about the whole uh, Admiral Bird thing is that an admiral will never be flying an aircraft. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the, yeah. the whole entire Admiral Bird thing. It, the, I don't know if I necessarily bought into all of that. The I, I don't want to get into the specifics of as as to why I don't necessarily buy into the Admiral bird scenario. But yeah. if, if you really get into it, there's some head scratchers. And like, like you said, you, you, I, I don't know if you've researched it or not, but you're, you're already picking it apart as to why it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's like captain crunch actually being commander crunch. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Like, there, there's some stuff listen, about that story that doesn't really, that doesn't he, really go. He was a commander. He had to step down because he was, hurting too many roofs of children with that cereal that cuts open your mouth. <laughs> but it's delicious. It, it, it's delicious, but it cuts open your mouth so bad. He got reduction, uh, reduction in rank and two times half pay. Yeah. <laughs> For child For, abuse. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man yeah dude if if there's an, an admiral one they're not they're not flying to like my the rank i'm at right now i wouldn't even be able to wipe their ass like they're so like dude they have 
like oh five and oh six is getting their coffee. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I looked up if admirals could fly because I know that you know all of our pilots in the navy are officers, and you can get to the level of admiral though your positions and your like like me as a E five. I do less maintenance and more administrative stuff now. Once I get higher up in the ranks, it'll be way more admin and then zero maintenance. I'm just not doing that anymore. Same thing with admirals. Once they get high enough in the ranks, they're just like talking with the president and they're leading stuff and they're overseeing like uh, like whole, was it theaters in like the, the different parts of the world, like you're, you're covering these ships and whatever, and then you're responsible for that. But they can fly, but it has to be uh, pilots in any military. They don't go on joy rides. Anything they do is mission oriented. So, you know, because every single ounce of fuel that they burn up is taxpayer money. So it's not like they're, you know, just taking the, the jet out just to go and hang out or taking the helo out to just go fly around, and see some stuff like they're all doing specific missions. So if an admiral were to be in a position where he had a mission to fly some area and I, I didn't listen to the episode but i'm just like just answering your question kind of but if the mission included that and then he saw some weird stuff that would be different than if the um if it was just like yeah then some admiral took a military aircraft on an expedition it, it doesn't work like that he would be uh discharged from the military with a less than honorable discharge you know as you're speaking i, I looked into it briefly so it, it was during operation high jump it was okay. during so, yeah a mission of sorts allegedly yeah so then that would be more plausible but then again an admiral going on a flight like that usually at the high way higher ups they only really fly in order to keep their uh their wings that they they get they a certain amount of hours and they get like their their wings and they it's like it's a qualification thing so they do so many flights just to maintain that qualification. Yeah. So it probably wouldn't be a mission. It would more likely be, hey, this admiral is coming over to visit our command, and the commanding officer is going to take him up in one of the helicopters, and he's going to fly, and then the uh, the CO is going to be the uh, the co-pilot. Like mm-hmm. that's something I've actually seen happen. But them actually going out on missions, like they're just desk jockeys at that point. Yeah, they're just figureheads. But anyways, getting back into uh, Yellowstone. So Snake River Plain in the 1960s, many geologists studied the area of Snake River Plain outside the southwest area of the park. During this time, they found evidence of ancient volcanic craters. Confirmed in the 1970s by aerial photos, it was determined that at least nine other times a supervolcano erupted as the craters created an obvious path leading from west to east, with each crater about 600,000 years older than its neighbor. These craters created a straight line directly to Yellowstone National Park. This was caused by what we described earlier as a hot spot traveling from west to east under the Earth's crust. By plotting out nearly 30,000 earthquakes closest to Yellowstone in the 1980s, it was clear that the earthquakes created a very visible V-shape around the hotspot's current location under Yellowstone. 
This also gives clues that it wasn't the hotspot that was moving. Instead, it was the North American plate that was moving due to plate tectonics. Other examples of hotspots moving due to plate tectonics is the island of Hawaii. But what makes Yellowstone so unique is that it is the only location on Earth that this has happened under land, not underwater. Hmm. Yeah. So we get these hotspots that eventually end up erupting and creating these island chains. So basically, I I mean, I just threw Hawaii in there because that's probably the most notable ones. But there are a lot of different island chains throughout the world that were created by similar hotspots to Yellowstone. And they're muted because of, you know, they're going through, I mean, I don't know how deep the ocean is at these locations, but a hell of a lot of water. And the reason why Yellowstone is so violent or will be so violent is because it is over land and there's no pillow of water over it to silence it like you know i guess that's the best way you can describe to it. create a uh a suit uh tidal wave that takes out the neighboring island yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah but yeah this is this is some scary stuff and i've got a little bit more too uh but the farther i got into this research and the more science and and stuff that i saw throughout the history of the research done on yellowstone the more my eyes started opening and the more concern that i was getting you know All right, so the next time Yellowstone erupts, thousands will die, and almost the entire United States will be buried under volcanic debris. When will Yellowstone erupt next? This question is hard to answer exactly. With each super eruption's canyon being roughly 600,000 years older than its neighbor, and the last eruption roughly 640,000 years ago, all evidence points to us being well overdue. Some of the signs that we are looking for are increased volume of earthquakes and the land will will begin to swell. Although we cannot be exactly certain as to what's, what these signs will look like and what the time frame between these signs will be, we are certain of a few things. In 2009, an extreme amount of earthquakes started erupting every day. Over a 10-day period... There were over 500 earthquakes, some as big as magnitudes of over 3.9. Another big one is that the land is swelling, not drastically, but it is measurable. We have evidence of this due to Yellowstone Lake. Around 1920, a steam-powered boat caught fire and sank to the bottom of the lake. At the time that it sank, it was under roughly five feet of water and not visible from the surface. Now, in 2021, the ship can be seen exposed up to four feet above the waterline in spots. Also, the banks of the lake have proceeded further up the banks of the lake's rim. What does all this mean? This means that the ground at the bottom of the lake has risen, causing the boat to come to the surface of the water and the lake to expand up its shores. This proves that the Yellowstone supervolcano is beginning to bulge, a strong sign that another eruption is not only imminent, but may happen sooner than we are ready for. Not only is the land rising, but it is rising faster than it has in recent history. In 2006, the land around parts of the park began to rise at a rate of about 2 to 3 inches per year. This is measured by using sophisticated GPS antennas that measure the device's exact position on the earth, and all of these GPS antennas prove that the land around Yellowstone is in fact growing. 
GPS antennas have risen a total of 10 to 22 inches, depending on their position within the park since 2006. So with all this going off, right, uh, and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun or not, uh, I feel like a lot of our stockpiles of weapons, like military-based, would also probably get detonated by majority of this stuff going off. And uh, I know we have most of, most of it spaced out, but like on top of the volcano and everything else, I'm, I'm assuming a few nukes are going to go off or detonate from this. I would say no, because nukes aren't in themselves explosive until they're armed. Certainly there would be some issues, but I mean, they're, they're protected inside of, you know, there, there might be spaced out between amongst all the United States, but the areas that they're at are pretty much well protected from uh, things like massive earthquakes and, and issues like that, because what would be the point of burying something underground or, or containing it in a, in some sort of a, a thing underground if a 5.0 earthquake could cause, you know, the, the ceiling to collapse and it just, you know, blows everything up. And then we have another explosion. Like it just, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. But, but at the same time, that's not to say that it couldn't completely disrupt, you know, what the United States does militarily because we just don't have the way, the means to transport anything or, uh, you know, all of our military bases get covered up in ash and we have planes underneath 30 feet of ash, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, I guess uh, anything that would have active plutonium or whatever, whatever stuff uh, is out there. So like nuclear plants or anything right. else that um, obviously stuff like that i don't think it's gonna be able to continue running so eventually the water cooling mm. would uh, happen i don't know if it's gonna have uh, like another chernobyl or something along that lines because we have there are quite a few different uh plants throughout the united states they just kind of don't really talk too much of, about them for like fear of uh, scaring the public but I, I can see what you're saying. So, like, we're we're fine from like nuclear weapons because of the way that they're set up. But like anything that's already made, I guess, like uh, C4 carp uh, or anything, it's not going to be big like a nuclear weapon. But uh, most likely, that stuff should go off, right? Nitroglycerin, I guess, if we have anything, yeah. That I mean, they're you know like C4, like you know stockpiles of C4 will explode. But when it comes to like the nuclear weapons, just to build off what Jake was talking about, you have to understand the concepts and the ideas behind nuclear fusion. So in order for a nuclear warhead to actually explode, there needs to be a chemical uh, combustion or combination in a, a specific step system. For example, like if I were to shoot a gun at a nuclear bomb, all it would do is puncture a hole in the side of it and the chemicals that the pneumatic chemicals that are in there would spew out, which are very poisonous and can cause radiation poisoning. But they need to inside the bomb. There's actually a lot of stuff that's happening that's not necessarily uh, just like like a grenade. When you pull the pin, it drops a uh, a piece of metal that that chemically combines and reacts to other chemicals that are in the grenade and after a certain amount of time those chemicals 
those chemicals react so much, causing so much pressure inside of there that it actually explodes out through the shell. Um, it's kind of the same concept with a nuclear warhead, but there's much more steps to it. And it's good because something like this shouldn't, in theory, necessarily cause one of these nuclear warheads to go off because it would never have the opportunity for all of these steps to be successfully fulfilled, um, which is a built-in uh, safety, actually, that is good for us. Uh, but uh, one thing I would be worried about is that all the chemicals within those nuclear warheads releasing into the atmosphere, which could be extremely bad. Well, okay, so maybe nukes won't go off, but do you think that there's the potential for possible like foreign adversaries? I won't say any like names, but like if if the if the Yellowstone supervolcano were to erupt and the whole entire country is down on its knees, and like Jake said, there would be the issues of transportation of militaristic weapons and things of that nature. Do you think that there is the potential for a foreign adversary to invade while our whole entire country would be pretty much under this catastrophic event? Sure. I mean, if they really wanted to. I mean, they'd find like a winter wonderland of ash and, and uh, death. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. but by the know, time it, it cleared up, I mean... <laughs> I was going to say, I actually disagree with Jake. Um, no, there's there would be no reason. We'd be screwed so. already. Nah. nah. I mean, why why expel that energy and that money into something that that's already fucked, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I love this land and everything, but uh, if Yellowstone goes off, we are going to Im- immediately go below a third world country. Yeah, if, if we if the entire United States becomes a crater, <laughs> yeah, and the I ocean mean, fills in, <laughs> it just becomes a big cereal bowl. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I don't I don't think it's gonna be that big. But I mean that that you know, like like Jake was saying, you know, uh, you get a lot of these people, a lot of the the documentaries and the, the the sources that I use to actually look into this stuff. They were talking about thousands of people dying i do agree with jake that i think i think probably close to 90 percent of the united states 80 to 90 percent of the united states is going to go and it's not going to be from burning to death from uh lava it's going to be from uh not being able to breathe i think anybody with with something such as asthma like that's going to be a huge problem for anybody mm-hmm. with asthma any kind of respiratory issues um any kind of circulatory issues anybody that's you know overweight i'm screwed <laughs> well not to mention the the poisoning of most of the fresh water in the united states which would kill off all of the fish and then also not being able to grow crops because it would destroy the soil like i'm talking about like death in the levels of starvation and and not being able to breathe, you know, all that stuff being trapped in your homes, like it would just absolutely devastate uh, North America. Yeah. And not to mention that the strict cutoff of all social media sites is going to kill every child in the United States. <laughs> They're not going to be able to tweet about it because all they <laughs> can't can't transmit a signal through 16 million miles of ash. <laughs> Hashtag dead. Hashtag dead. But yeah, uh, I mean, 
Yeah, to answer your your question, Frank, I, I don't think that there would be any reason for anybody to actually put effort into it. We're done, dude. Understandable. I guess, would there be a way of preventing this? Can we get a bunch of ice cubes and... A giant cork. I think that would be the worst idea you could do because, (laughs) I mean, think about it. When you throw, you know, you already have boiling water, right? And it's it's already steaming. And you throw, like, let's just say you threw a whole bunch of ice cubes onto a hot plate or something, right? What's going to happen? It's going to create all, it's going to create even more steam. And it may just excel the process. So then drilling holes in the ground and making more would not be beneficial either. It would release pressure. Well, I, yeah, I was going to say that's kind of like pop, popping a zit, you know? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. No, that... that's like drilling holes around the zit and then popping it. <laughs> <laughs> but that might actually be a legitimate thing. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not a geologist. I don't know. I can't answer that for sure. But in my layman's mind, that seems like the more reasonable idea, you know? So like the movie Core, we're going to drill to the center of the Earth with our cool little, I guess, subterranean spaceship. Or a very old movie from the 80s called Joe versus Volcano. We, f- <laughs> we find Tom Hanks and we sacrifice him to the volcano god. Yes. I'm down for that. I mean, if it does the trick, you know? <laughs> well, it, it didn't really help out the because he survived. That was the problem. No. The volcano went off because he got on some super awesome luggage. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird movie if you ever a chance to watch it. But... Do you know what happens to people when they fall on lava? Like, it's a lot more horrific than most people think. They think that it's like that <laughs> scene from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, yeah, Lord of the Rings where he's slowly sinking. The reality is, is that you're the water inside of your body would evaporate and you would go skittering along the surface of the uh of the the lava like a water droplet on a hot pan right (laughs) as like you you burst into flames and like you're you're instantaneously like third degree burns all over your body so you wouldn't necessarily feel it uh you'd feel the initial like flash but you wouldn't feel anything after that but you would you die pretty quick, but then your dead body would just be skittering along the surface like a water <laughs> droplet. Like it's absolutely horrific what would happen to a person. I would go for about thirteen bounces then. <laughs> like you know when you get that uh, smooth off the stone, edges? yeah, the smooth stone <laughs> that you throw across a lake. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I try to do for my body. I try to bounce at least thirteen bounces. Get some momentum. Yeah. <laughs> do a corkscrew. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're already, you're already dead. Might as well make a, a thing about Jeez. it. Go out on your own terms. <laughs> you could probably cut that out because that's probably going to get censored or something. <laughs> I mean, if it hasn't happened by now. No, that's in. We're keeping it. We're keeping it. In. <laughs> okay, we're keeping it. So the states hit the worst will be Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, Utah, and Idaho, and would simply be unrecognizable in the case of a major eruption from the Yellowstone supervolcano. Hot volcanic ash would be at least three feet deep in its shallowest point throughout this area. The states hit the second hardest would be Nevada, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas, and would be covered with at least a foot of hot volcanic ash. Every other state and most of Canada and Mexico will experience at least a dusting of ash. 
Some places are even worse depending on the current weather patterns of that time frame. The worst of the damage would be seen the closer you are to the epicenter of the blast, and an estimated roughly 50% of the United States would be completely useless and barren for up to a century or more. Transformers would blow throughout North America, buildings would collapse under the weight of ash, fields and trees will burn by active fires, livestock will die, food will become very scarce due to soil becoming too poisonous to grow anything edible for generations, and everyday life will permanently change as we know it. North America will rely on imported food in order to survive and will no longer be the force we are today, collapsing America, Canada, and Mexico into less than third world countries. But North America will not be the only place to suffer. Sulfur being thrown into the air will cool the entire world's climate by a total of 10 degrees for at least a decade, causing a global catastrophe and a possible dawning of a new ice age. That's it. That's what I got. We're all going to die. It's inevitable. Yeah. They said that the last ice age actually only got kickstarted because the global temperature only dropped by eight degrees. Wow. Yeah. Man. Well, I misspoke there. Yes, we're all going to die. 10 out of 10 people die. But we might be able to experience a horrific, fiery, terrible death with burning stinging rain and all kinds of stuff and then a frozen death for those that survive like that's that's nuts but yeah now i wanted to go into the blast size my speculation of how many people could die it's not tens of thousands it's tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people um because Mm -hmm. you're right like all of the the research i was seeing was included the entire united states and then also northern Mexico and southern Canada, like a huge area. And I wanted to not only talk about how, how big of an explosion it's going to be, but kind of break it down so it's more, uh, more manageable for people. So the blast size, if Yellowstone erupts, and not just a small eruption or like it releases some steam, I mean like a full-on eruption, like you said the last one, they say it was 600,000 years ago. But it was, you know, absolutely massive and catastrophic. So what does that look like? The blast size or the the amount of energy would be 875,000 megatons of an explosion. And I want to put that into perspective. So the two atomic bombs that we dropped on Japan during World War II of uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Nagasaki, that bomb... That explosion was 25 kilotons, and Hiroshima, yeah, Nagasaki was 25 kilotons, and Hiroshima was 15 kilotons. What that means is that it's 15,000 tons of TNT, or 25,000 tons of TNT. The biggest nuclear test was actually done by the Soviets. They dropped a bomb that was 50 megatons, which was 50 million tons of TNT. This explosion would be 17,500 times that. Wow. So that Soviet bomb reached a radius of 150 miles of destruction. Like that was the size of it at 50 megatons. So 17,500 times that 
we're talking that entire area being decimated into the bedrock underneath us, like just, and probably way lower. Like, so when I, I joke around about like the United States turning to a crater and then the ocean fills it in and becomes a big soup bowl, like, I don't know exactly what the square radius of an explosion like that would be or how deep it would start out and how big the crater would be. But I can't imagine that it would leave really anybody in the United States alive. And then also, northern mexico and also southern canada that is a monstrous explosion and not only that but what would that do in regards to the fault lines and the other the other volcanoes in the world right could that cause a chain reaction a monster earthquake that's worldwide you know that level of kinetic energy traveling through the ground once it hits the coastlines causing monster tidal waves i mean like like a worldwide event from this thing going up so like an extinction level event right and -hmm. scientists likes to grab about like oh the dinosaurs they probably were killed by whatever right extinction level events this would be in my mind an extinction level event it would be close it would be and the scariest thing about this is that in a crazy kind of way you kind of want to be closer to the eruption when it happens if you know for a fact that everyone in the world's going to die, or at least everyone in the United States, right? Because it'll happen quick. Oh, you'd be eviscerated. You wouldn't even know it. And all, you know, like, let's say the eastern seaboard right here. Like, let's say it's so bad that even life on the eastern seaboard is impossible. Mm-hmm. We're going to die a lot slower. We're going we're gonna to suffer. We're going to... You know, we're going to suffocate, we're going to drown with cement in our lungs. And those of us that are lucky enough, right, to live past this, let's just hope that this doesn't happen in the spring or the summertime. Because remember, uh, we have to deal with hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And could you imagine a hurricane coming through the Gulf of Mexico and get just soaking up a bunch of this sulfuric ash and hitting like a place like such as Norfolk? right where I'm at right now, Norfolk, Virginia, or anywhere Mm -hmm. across the eastern seaboard and just dumps a shit ton of acid rain and cement that that has been mixed in the cloud coverage. Like imagine like hail, but instead of ice, you have volcanic acidic rocks being thrown by this gigantic hurricane of volcanic ash. Not even that, but that would also push all that stuff from our section of the globe into Europe, into Africa and stuff. You know, those cloud systems are gigantic. Right. So if it's grabbing that stuff and it's pulling it up into the atmosphere and spitting it out, it's just going to push it out other places as well. That's another thing you got to think about, too, is that all the weather systems in the United States flow from west to east because you have the rotation of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. So you have these massive storms that hit Washington and Oregon, and they're known as like these wet states because it's always raining out there. Well, the really, really big systems end up pushing past the Rocky Mountains and then over the Midwest and eventually hit the the East Coast where you get like these nor'easters and stuff mm-hmm. that hit, hit New England. Uh, and then eventually they make their way across the uh, Atlantic Ocean and build and power again, and then they hit Europe and go over to land there and eventually will die off before they get recreated on the the eastern coast of Russia and China and stuff. So 
when this thing goes off, just like you were saying, it's going to hit the rest of the world as well, at least some ash fall and some cloud coverage because of the rotation of the earth. It will push everything to the east. And uh, those that will be hit first are going to be, you know, outside the United States or North America are going to be Europe. Mm-hmm. So countries like England, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and list all the, the European countries. Because he only knows England, you know, that's why. I only know England. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like England. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Europe. Please. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your thoughts, Frank? I'm more so just I'm I'm super hyper focused on the uh the aftermath more so. That's that's where my mind tends to lead with this whole entire scenario. Right. I've been thinking a lot throughout this conversation. Have either or any of you guys uh seen or read the book The Road? Mm-mm. No. No, but I heard it was I, I no. They have a movie, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. A I, I've movie. seen the movie. Yeah, so super excited about a can of Coke. uh, Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) the the book was written by Cormac McCarthy. It's a good movie. And it it was later uh, envisioned with with a movie. And now uh, that movie in particular, it's kind of this post-apocalyptic sort of scenario. And it's never said throughout the book or the movie what what exactly happened. But it's theorized that it was either a super volcano or a, a meteor impact that devastated the planet and i i could see that scenario playing out pretty much spot on if the super volcano were to go off literally just ash everywhere cannibalism just plaguing the world because of the lack of food and water mm. that's kind of more so where where my mind's stuck at right now just just the terrible aftermath of everything could definitely see cannibalism becoming a major issue. Oh, absolutely. Be- because, you know, like we've said time and time again, the the ground would just be poisoned. We wouldn't be able right. to grow anything. Livestock wouldn't be able to eat or drink. So livestock wouldn't be wouldn't be viable. Fishing wouldn't be viable, you know. Yeah. Uh, people that were living would be led to forced cannibalism. I mean, like, wouldn't there be the livestock still? But like you would, they would be feeding for this or fending for the same fruits and vegetables and other stuff we'd be eating for. Yeah, I guess you're right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there could be pigs. I've I've heard stories of pigs getting fed people, but I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah. don't think that would be very well, good. Yeah, if you, I've I grew up on a farm, and uh, it is. Please check pig farmers, like a once a week, just to make sure because. Uh, if uh, you fall on a pig pen, uh, they'll just eat you. Really? Yeah. It, it is is not something that like, oh, tongue in cheek, haha. It's like no, they'll they'll just do it. Wow. Because they just assume that anything at like that level is a food source. Kids. So, so it's not. Yeah, like you joke, you, but that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you got to keep them out. I mean, like. Of course, it's the same idea of like eventually any animal will turn to it, like cats, cats are known, yeah, yeah. Bases. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dogs are known to do it, but they at least wait uh, a full week of like starving before they start doing that, just because of uh, loyalty. But cats will kind of just like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of snacking. I want a snack now. 
type deal. Listen, dude, it's been four hours since I've eaten and my bowl is <laughs> yeah. half full. I'm going to eat your face off right now. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> but I feel like, uh, would we keep domestic things? Like, I know other nations eat those, but we still grow dogs and cats, but then turn them into food sources rather than cannibalizing humans. But here's the thing. We wouldn't have anything to feed them. Yeah. So I I think that a dog, it would become even more important to humans than they are now for strictly for the reason of people going absolutely fucking nuts and committing to cannibalism or, you know, any other kind of heinous acts that that because there, there's no restriction. The, the police force is going to that's not going to exist. No. Uh, there's going to be nothing restricting anybody from doing anything that they want to do. Those that have survived, those have had prepared for this with gas masks and building uh, some kind of bunkers underground and stuff like that. Those that actually do survive this, the select few, there's nothing that's going to keep them from doing anything within their wildest dreams. Mm. So I think finding a food source for your dogs is going to be super important. Just yeah. almost almost as important as it is for yourself. Just to equate to something, there I saw recently they're doing another one of those um purge movies coming out, but this one's gonna be like all year round. So like uh also like the idea, I guess, of Mad Max too, uh equivalent to like just having there is no society, it's just built around community, but like you're always gonna have those people coming in with bigger guns or stronger taking from the weak or taking from anybody they can take the stuff from. So like, even though I live in a community, I feel like my community is not going to be something that's going to survive because I'm on the East coast in Pennsylvania. So the fallout of this coming over here, right. It's still, I'm still gonna most likely if I'm not getting that stuff in my lungs, like, I'm not going to be able to uh, find any stuff. There's, like, cave systems I can go into, but what food source or anything? Hmm. And then, like, is it going to be worse for other places? Like, we already have the Great Barrier Reef, like, falling apart. How, yeah. how bad is that going to affect, like, all the ash going into just the waters around? And then, like, the Gulf Stream and everything pushing that stuff along. Is this going to be, like, a mass extermination? Yeah. For like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have all this, the ash, which is mostly sulfur, which is toxic to most living things in, in the world. And that's all going to fall into the oceans as well. And like you said, the Gulf Stream from uh, the Gulf of Mexico out into the Atlantic Ocean is going to push that out into a majority of the Atlantic Ocean, which is eventually going to be pushed into other portions of the world eventually and the entire earth's uh water system or water source will eventually become way more acidic and i mean other than the stuff that already lives down by the thermal vents right because there are some mm -hmm. things that live down there everything else whales fish sharks jellyfish all that crap i mean that's they're they're all screwed man i was gonna comment on the uh the livestock situation and say yeah. that uh this super volcano is sitting in America's breadbasket, and that's mm -hmm. the all those grains and stuff that that grow in the Midwest region are all things that we feed to our livestock. You know, we'd run through our grain stores pretty dang quickly, 
whether we're eating it ourselves or we're feeding it to our livestock, but regardless, like they wouldn't survive. And I think it would be more like a book of Eli sort of situation where the first scene is he's, you know, killing the cat and eating it, you know, we're just going to go through everything, you know, it's like, I agree that pets will be more of a, a tool than ever before, or at least since we've used them in the last five, 600 years, but they'd probably be eaten too before I agree people would probably resort to cannibalism. But if I know anything about apocalyptic type scenarios, the first thing that I would do if I survived was go get all of the leather out of my closet because I know and start cutting holes in it too, because I know I'm going to be running around in some like S and M type leather gear because that's what all the movies have in them. So marshals or something to get yeah. a ste- those steel rack poles to make sure you can put a head on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> has, has anybody seen that episode of Rick and Morty? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they did it in SpongeBob too. It was pretty funny. <laughs> did they? I did not see yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Jake, you got anything else, man? Yeah, so I'm biblically based. I think everyone that listens to this podcast knows that that I'm I'm a Christian. And personally for me, when it comes to the plausibility of a Yellowstone type eruption or Yellowstone erupting. I can find areas in the Bible where it kind of fits. And I wanted to read something out of Revelation. This is in regards to the Great Tribulation. So this is the whole Antichrist has come after the rapture. Uh, there's crazy earthquakes and things. When I was on Phil's podcast, I did a breakdown of Matthew 24 with him, and I explained the occurrences of earthquakes and how they've been getting stronger and stronger and stronger and i think that a massive earthquake or sit or chain of earthquakes could cause the yellowstone volcano to erupt but this is a portion out of revelation 6 verses 12 through 14 uh, when he opened the sixth seal i looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sat- sackcloth and the full moon became like blood And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So that's detailing probably the biggest earthquake that the world has ever seen, big enough to move mountains from their foundations and stuff. But it, you know, says that sky like sackcloth. And what that is, is that is crude cloth made out of uh, flax or hemp so basically burlap and if you ever saw any of the pictures of this last year when california was absolutely just completely on fire all of the pictures have like this brown haze that's what the sky looked like in a lot of these places that were dealing with a lot of ash being blown into the sky and that is reminiscent to me of a massive event that could darken the sky for some untold amount of time. And when I think about that and I think about, you know, what could happen naturally that could, that could cause that uh, massive earthquakes, either leading up to the eruption of Yellowstone or Yellowstone erupting and causing a massive earthquake that's worldwide. Either way, I'm not one to take it out and say, no, nah, it'll never happen. You know, the scientists are right. It's going to happen in billions and billions of years. Cause I don't think that we're going to be here that long, like as 
just in general. Like the planet isn't going to be here that long because I'm I'm biblically based, right? So I think that we're in the end times and stuff. But I uh, I do think that you know the United States could see something like that, and I I believe in a God that's big enough to just make that sort of stuff happen. But also, why not utilize the things that are already going on here on Earth? You know, increasing in in earthquakes and they're getting bigger in size and more powerful and more people are dying and more destruction at what point are those earthquakes going to be so big that they are you know shaking the mountains loose or setting off the biggest volcano in north america right on man yep i don't know how to comment on that (laughs) well that's just what i'm seeing so when i'm seeing something like this and we do these sorts of episodes i know that this exists biblically and I can see the trends, I can see the patterns, and see where uh, Scripture is revealing itself through current events. And that's one thing that's a future event that could be in the next five years, it could be in the next hundred years. I have no idea, and I'm not going to be one of those guys that does all that guesswork and is constantly wrong. But what I can say is that because I believe this is true, and I can see that little you know portion, what's to say that doesn't involve Yellowstone? Because if we're talking about a plume of ash that could reach as far as uh you know europe which consists of england then (laughs) then what's to say that some massive event like that wouldn't trigger the rest of the volcanoes on earth to attribute to the same sort of global effect because revelation is global events not only in israel or only in the united states you know the the only ones that are mentioned actually by name are israel and the surrounding areas of israel but they use the the names of you know back before they were named uh russia and uh, iran and things like that like their original names but that's not secluded to that area it's a worldwide event everyone's going to be experiencing this so what is a thing that we have here on earth right now that could attribute to that and when i look at yellowstone i'm like yeah that'll do it yeah that'll do that'll do it (laughs) yeah I i wish i had more knowledge in that so I can hold a conversation with you, but I I can't. I mean, if you're talking about something that would be seen from all over the world, I mean, Yellowstone, like you said, would that'll, that'll do. Frank, Andrew, what do you all think? Because I'm just speculating. I mean, yeah, I agree with you that I feel like that would be the closest thing to uh, this specifically, like the end of times. Uh, the only thing I can think of that would be worse would be like maybe after my uh, second meal of Taco Bell and KFC. Uh, One of those combination <laughs> stores? Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like you better, it'll be another pandemic of toilet paper missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Sometimes you need the lighthearted jokes for these episodes, man. It is Absolutely. Extreme, extremely dark times Doom to say. And gloom. Yeah, because it, it is going to happen. Uh, or if it isn't going to happen, like, uh, I don't know if you guys came across this or not, but NASA did research of how to resolve this um, or, or what solution they would do to come to uh, fixing this. So the thing that that would be their solution 
cost a crap load of money, which uh, obviously no one would probably give. Uh, it was like three point seven billion dollars. That's uh, it for, uh, but like government wise, like how much are we giving NASA? Like we don't even give them enough. We don't give them enough to even go to the moon anymore. So that's because NASA is no longer researching the moon. They're yeah, researching they're the oceans. No, nah, they're yeah. researching the oceans, bro. Yeah, so they should uh, be. the The main idea was actually oddly enough the thing that we kind of mentioned of digging holes. So they were talking about uh, digging four deep holes, right, or a series of holes, uh, going about six point two miles deep, and then having ones that were closer, which they would uh, feed cold water down into and slowly cool. So mm-hmm. it's both doing the pressure, um, relieving the pressure of the holes, and then it's also the idea of cooling it down. But they said if they would do the cooling down thing, they would need at least 20 gigawatts of energy to cool down. Uh, so they, they said it would, uh, with the method that they were talking about, probably like uh, 1,600 years. <laughs> Better get started. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you can't alter with nature like that. You can't go about stopping this, I don't think, because there's there's always some sort of cause and effect. And yeah, you, you might stop the initial Yellowstone volcano eruption, but something else might follow up that could potentially be worse. You never know. I agree. I think you're just displacing it. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree, Frank. What if they drilled enough holes that it would be like they'd have like an outline of a big circle. So when it eventually did erupt anyway, it just shot this giant like cookie out of the out <laughs> of the earth. And then that came back down and, and killed everybody on earth. I don't know if that'd be any better. <laughs> It'd be quicker. I think that uh, I don't know. <laughs> a 60-mile a across cookie just and then comes back down. <laughs> everybody strike a pose. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last pose anyone's ever gonna see. It's gonna cool. it's gonna look fresh though. Um <laughs> cool. that drip. I drip. think that that's about it. We're gonna go ahead and hand the mic over over to Frank. Frank, I just want to say be the first to say thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I love your your guys' podcast. I know that we're gonna be working together again in the future. I just can't wait, dude. Oh, Jeremy, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate that. It was a blast. And uh, I, I can speak for Mike and Dave when I say that we look forward to coming on either individually or as a whole back onto the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast. It's always a good time. Oh, yeah, man. We'll have to, maybe we'll get something together where we have the entire the entire two uh, podcasts together. That'd be oh, fun. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We've been talking about it for a while, and uh, there's just a lot going on. Not a lot going on. Yeah, man. But uh, yeah, man, why don't you go ahead and, and let all of our listeners know where they can find Hush Hush and if you can squeeze out any information about upcoming stuff for you guys. Absolutely. Well, listeners of The Infinite Rabbit Hole, you can find me, Mystery Mike, and Declassified Dave on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the tag Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. We also recently launched our website, hushhussociety.com, where you can 
listen to the podcast. You can check out our merch. You can leave us a review and you can contact us with questions, reviews, even show suggestions. We're open to all of that. Also, you can find us on YouTube where you can listen to our exclusive YouTube segment, Declassified Discussions. There we interview friends, family, friends of friends about their paranormal, weird, wacky, conspiratorial experiences. You guys just did one with Mark O'Connell. Mark O'Connell, yeah, that that was a fascinating interview. Um I highly suggest checking that one out. He he was a he was a great guy to talk to and it, it definitely makes for a good listen, I'd say. It was really good. Actually, really, really good. He just he, he has a new podcast uh coming out too, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I'm sure anybody that knows Mark O'Connell, they'll be able to find it. Yeah. But uh, anybody that's kind of into the sci-fi UFO kind of stuff, uh, Mark O'Connell is definitely a good source for all that stuff. Absolutely. He's probably going to be a really good source to listen to with all this upcoming stuff here in June. Well, I think he, he's going to stray away from the, the UFO stuff. I believe he said during uh, our talk with him that he's going to more so lean to his experiences with like writing and whatnot with his podcast. Oh, yeah. Right where can we get that fly merch for your show too? Oh, that that would be on hushhushsociety.bigcartel.com. But if you don't feel like typing all that in, you can just go onto the website and there's a whole separate tab where you can find all the drippage. But yeah, come check us out. Appreciate it. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. I got myself a uh Mothman skateboarding thrasher tee Hell. and I got and I got the redacted tee too. A Dude. Yeah, we're, we're working on getting some more stuff on there. Awesome stuff. That's awesome. And, uh, if you guys want to stick around, we have a subject to uh, go at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Absolutely. Uh, as you guys saw during the Simpsons episode, that we do this new segment called The Bottom of the Hole. And if you are not a Patreon, unfortunately, you cannot listen to it. Yeah, take that. But if you are a Patreon, Go on over to Patreon. The uh, bonus content for this episode where we continue the conversation on such subjects as what we would actually do personally if this event happened during our lifetime. And some tourists. And some tourists. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Tourists. You, should tell, you should tell them what kind of tourists. No, I no, like, no. They got to like pay. They have to pay for those uh, oh. tourists. Okay. Let's just say they also like to go to Area 51. Ah, I like it. I like that. Yeah, leave them on the edge. Really fuck with them. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who it could be. Yeah. <laughs> but, Jake, you got any closing thoughts, bud? Uh, no, but, Frank, thank you so much for joining us on this doom and gloom conversation. <laughs> I appreciate you, uh, you sticking with us and just helping us to make this, uh, you know, the best episode that we could. It's, uh, it was a, a pleasure having you, and I, I personally do also look forward to to seeing you in the future with uh, the rest of your crew. Oh, thanks, Jake. That means a lot, man. Again, it, it was a great time being here. For sure. That's awesome. Thank you. Right on, right on. Yeah, Frank, seriously, man. I mean, it's no secret that our two podcasts have kind of grown together. I know you guys are a little bit older than us, uh, and you guys have Bro, definitely... I'm 21. No, I'm talking about the I'm, I'm talking about the oh, podcast. Oh, I was about to say I am not older, but I got you. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about, by a little bit, by a little bit. 
Yeah, you guys are a couple months older than than our show. Your yeah, show yeah. is a couple. <laughs> but uh, just one more time, uh, I know I've been talking to Dave a lot lately, uh, and I haven't had a really uh, a chance to talk to you or Mike. So I'll just do it on that on this episode. Right. Uh, just want to say thanks to the Hush Hush Society for helping us along the journey of growing the Infinite Rabbit Hole. You guys are always welcome on the show, and I love working with you guys. Oh, thanks, man. Of course, we, we we look forward to it, and the the collaboration is great. I love the community that we've kind of got gathered. Uh, it, it's it's hard to to kind of always be wicked. Um, w- uh, the words, you know, the words. Yeah, um, it's fine. <laughs> we we've we've all got really tough <laughs> schedules as of right now. Mike with a one year old. Dave's schedule is ramping up as he just recently got a promotion with his job. And I've been working third shift, which is 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So it's been hard to really collaborate with everybody on a good schedule. But when we do collaborate, it's always a blessing. It always comes out great. And I'm I'm thankful to be part of it. Cool, man. Well, we appreciate it. We really do. As for my closing thoughts, just want to throw this out there. The good news is that most professional geologists believe that we are at least 10,000 years away from a major eruption from the Yellowstone supervolcano. But there may be a few smaller ones in between now and then. Are we safe in our lifetime? Are our children safe in their lifetime? How about our grandchildren or their grandchildren? The fact is that nobody can tell just yet. It can happen in millennia. It can happen in centuries or decades. Or it can happen tomorrow. The best thing I can say is prepare now. Because tomorrow might be too late. For those of you that are patrons of the show, we'll see you at the bottom of the hole. For those of you that aren't, We leave you here until next week. That's been another episode of Infinite Rabbit Hole. We'll see you later.